0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. Uh, I'm Gavin Costigan and this month we're discussing digital health data and in particular how that applies within the UK National Health Service. With me to discuss that is Nicole Mather who's Life Sciences Lead at IBM Global Business Services. Nicole, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, great to be here.
0: If we can start, Nicole, what are the main potential benefits for patients if we are able to create and integrate digital health data?
1: So I I think it's a great question, it's a really important question, the insights that we can bring to bear on patients. Um, So for example, understanding uh, a patient's history will allow us to give them better treatment. If we have genetic data, we could provide them with uh, drugs which will suit them better, or indeed avoid giving them drugs which might cause them harm. Uh, So bringing together different data sources that would be genetic data, but also that patient's medical history would allow us to get those insights.
0: And how do we ensure data quality?
1: So uh, data quality is quite a difficult topic. Obviously, uh, when when GPs are, are recording data, or when hospital doctors are recording data, they're not thinking about using it for anything other than their immediate needs. So so the data that's recorded for may not be suitable for other purposes, and it might need quite a lot of cleaning or curation in order to make it suitable. Uh, I think it's quite in, important that we uh, we don't expect doctors to be doing something different to what they're doing when they're doing their day job, but there is another very different job to be done to make sure that data is of a quality, for example, where it can be integrated with other data sources, and that's where you get those answers like, are those are drugs suitable for
0: that particular patient? Uh, does that mean there's a new profession of uh, data cl- cleansers within this type of data? How does that work? Ab-
1: absolutely, it does. It's a, it's a new... Uh, it's a new uh, part of data science, which is about c- cleansing and curating data. And uh, earlier on, like today, for example, I was at the, at the Turing Institute, and we were talking about that very thing, that they want to do data science. But in order for them to be efficient, they really need to be presented with data which is curated. And that's everything from structured data, which might be in fields, like you think of an Excel spreadsheet, but also imagine there might be photographs or images or scans, and those might even be written on how could you really mine those data sources to make the most and to allow those brilliant data scientists to get the answer. Quite a a lot of machine learning uh, and and understanding that BP and B.P. are the same thing for example and that they both mean blood pressure.
0: Mm. And is there a role for patients themselves in ensuring the quality of their own data?
1: Well I think it's really interesting that now um, More and more people are using the NHS app, and they can go in and see what's in their own medical history. And so, for example, if you realise that there had been a mix-up, for example, that uh, other people's data had been integrated into yours, or indeed that you wanted to upload some significant life events that perhaps had happened while you were on holiday and that hadn't been integrated into your medical record, then you could help yourself. Um, And in fact, it could potentially be important to
0: your care in future. So... Uh, we've been talking about the benefits to individual patients. Presumably, if this data is integrated, we can look across the piece and develop new insights that will help whole cohorts of, of patients. Uh, I'm quite interested, from a research perspective, be it academic or otherwise, what are the kinds of research that this data will enable us to do?
1: So have, having an understanding of what, what happens in the, in the life of a normal person, or how a person with diabetes normally develops. And that might then allow you to predict, for example, that a particular uh, group of patients with diabetes are more likely to develop some sort of cardiovascular complication. And you could then use that to actually predict, well, across a group of patients, if this patient walks into my surgery, I know they have diabetes, if they have these markers, they might develop a particular sort of cardiovascular complication, unless I can give them this advice, on their lifestyle or potentially some medication, and that might avoid the patient developing the secondary complication, but also um, helpfully reduce the cost on the NHS. So that's a kind of population health, if you like, within a particular disease cohort.
0: And presumably there are implications for all sorts of different types of diseases?
1: Yes, absolutely. Just That's one uh, yeah. known example, but uh, across, uh, across uh, all sorts of different patients in different scenarios and, and that's why personally I, I would be very happy for people to use my data if that could help other people, my family members or indeed somebody I didn't know.
0: Um, what are the commercial benefits to this and there are sometimes some concerns about commercial benefits to patient data but presumably this will enable for example pharmaceutical companies to develop better products?
1: So is it's a it's a difficult question, and one that is not always uh, treated as thoughtfully by the media as it as it could be. Um, in the UK, we're very lucky that very much of the medical research is done by charities, but commercial organisations are also extremely important uh, participants in medical research, and they invest an enormous amount. Now, that is to make products, but those products are and commercial products, but those products are aimed at improving patients' lives. So, I think it what what's important is uh, rather than thinking about who it is who's doing the research, but to ensure that we have the right protections in place um, and that patients have the opportunity to opt out. Um, but it, but if the if patients are happy for their data to be used, um, that the conditions around it are appropriate
0: and understood and that the governance is appropriate and is legal. And would some of the potential benefits um, be, for example, bringing a treatment or a drug to market more Quickly? Are there implications for, I don't know, clinical trials, things like that?
1: Well, so clinical trials is a really interesting example um, and uh, I'm involved in the Digital Trials Consortium which is a, a partnership between NHS Digital, Microsoft, uh, IBM and the University of Oxford and we're looking at accelerating finding patients for clinical trials. And we think this is a really exciting partnership because at the moment, if you happen to walk into your doctor's office and your doctor happens to be recruiting to a clinical trial, and you happen to be the right type of patient in that research active hospital, you will get on a trial. What we're looking to do is to use the data that NHS Digital has to proactively identify patients across the whole of the country who have particular conditions and to help them get onto a clinical trial. So it's much quicker, it costs the pharmaceutical company less so they can reallocate their resources, but it also means more patients have the opportunity to be in trials, so a real productivity gain.
0: And how does this feed into the the government's industrial strategy which has a life sciences element to it?
1: Absolutely. So, um, so I was part of the development of the of the first life sciences strategy, and that's all about uh, encouraging investment in the UK's life sciences environment because we have world leading skills uh, and particularly cohorts like like Biobank. Um, we have health data and also a lot of cutting edge data science in this country and by promoting those assets that we have and helping organisations, so research and and charity organisations like the Gates Foundation, for example, to come to the UK as well as uh, pharmaceutical and other commercial organisations, for them to come here and spend money on research will mean that more products can be developed and hopefully also more products which are suitable
0: for our patients in the NHS. We talked a bit earlier about concerns and you you mentioned that sometimes these things aren't very well explained and it isn't very clear. within this area of, of data and ethics, um, who actually owns that person's health data? Is it the individual? Well, I mean,
1: if you talk, if, I think legally it's owned by the Secretary of State. But oh, that's a it's, a, it's, a, it's a very complicated area because if you talk to a GP, they feel that they own the, the data because it's their record. So if you want to go and sue them later, sure. then they would use it in their defence. Obviously, I feel that my the data about me is my data, and there might also be other circumstances where, for example, if you develop TB, then it there's required reporting of your data. So so what's legal and also what people personally feel about their data might might be two slightly complex and separate things. And I think. Um, I'm not a legal expert. To me, what seems important is that we do this within the law, but also that we're fair and we're open and that people, uh, and it's transparent. So people understand what's happening with their data, and that's really critical.
0: So clearly, communication and understanding is, is one element to it. There's another element, which is control and um, regulations about who can get the data, when they can get the data, and so on. What are the, the kind of controls that we need? Um, to ensure the data isn't used for things that people don't think is appropriate, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the insurance industry or <laughs> marketing things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't really understand why the insurance industry has has come up in this in this set of conversations because I'm not aware that it is a uh, a likely consequence of any of the health data being put together. Um, it's not been the intention. The intention has always been and for example, in Biobank, if you are an accredited medical researcher, you can access the data. The data sets there are designed to advance medical science, they're not for insurance. So to me, I, I think it's just a confused question.
0: Yeah, and, and you may be right. Um, people worry about things that aren't necessarily the things that they should worry about. But uh, I guess the fear is that some years from now, someone can be identified as having uh, a predisposition for this or a potential medical condition for this and because of that uh, perhaps they'll have an in sharp, a higher insurance premium for either regular insurance or travel insurance or so on.
1: I guess it's a theoretical possibility. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, all this of course assumes that uh, we can actually do this job of integrating uh, digital health data what are the main technical challenges in actually bringing all this data together?
1: So, so we touched on that earlier, it's an enormously complex challenge. Um, apart from the data governance and permissions, which you've talked about a bit already, the very fact that uh, all of these data sets are held in different, uh, many different organisations, uh, so in the UK there's more than 250 organisations that hold health data, for example, and each of them has their own structures, uh, they hold different sorts of data, they're not comparable to each other, and they have different data governance processes. So even if you can clean and integrate all of that data, um, then you need would need to go on in order to um, develop tools to help understand that data, algorithms to, to help, for example, do the machine learning that we were talking about, which was required to help identify those consequences of, of data. So it's a bit like painting. Um, in painting, the last thing that you do is the painting, and, and likewise the last thing you do is the machine algorithm. and That's the thing that gets on the front of the newspapers. But actually, when you're painting, all of it is about the preparation, cleaning the walls, and likewise with data, so much of the effort. And indeed, the cost and the expertise goes into that cleaning, and aggregating, and the data architecture before you can do the, the fun stuff, which is the data science. Uh,
0: and is it, uh, is it reasonable to assume we can scale up uh, and still have that same quality of cleaning, which at the moment is quite uh, a person-intensive business. Or do we expect that AI and so on will develop to a point where some of that work can be done more automatically?
1: Absolutely, yeah, that work is increasingly able to be done automatically. And I think work, for example, NHSX is doing to help identify data standards is really important because once you have a standard, then people start to collect to that standard or to clean to that standard. So. Uh, over time. This is, this is a very new area of work. It's not that a lot of data has been around and people have been happy for it to be used for a long time, but I think um, the industry will accelerate when some benefits begin to be felt and you know we can really start to help patients. So there, it is possible to develop tools, it's possible to develop reference data sets, and that is really beginning to start and that will be really important in automating a lot of that data cleaning, which, which is a big job and, and it can never really be done. Uh, by hand
0: and what can we learn from what other countries are doing clearly the NHS is a potentially large single data source um, but we're not the only people trying to do some of these things
1: well I mean it's quite interesting if you look at other holders of, of data sets for example um, Flatiron and FMI in, in in the US which are uh, both two data companies the amount of money that they have spend on data curation for example is enormous um, and they have helped uh, get some products to market more quickly, uh, because they've been we've been able to they, they've been able to identify uh, what's called digital twins. So patients to be to be part of clinical trials as part of those of those cohorts.
0: And are we beginning to see the development of international standards uh, for some of these data types, or are, are individual countries still developing their own standards?
1: No, absolutely there are, and that's really helpful. So for genomics, for example, GA4GH has, uh, has set some standards, and, and that's the kind of thing that, I, that will be really important in allowing the, the international collaboration, which is so important in, a, in an industry like life sciences.
0: OK, so um, finally, just gazing into a crystal ball, um, where do you think, uh, if all goes well, where could we be with this in five years' time?
1: Well, I think, firstly, public understanding of the opportunity is really important, um, so I hope that we'll be able to talk more about this and people understand the opportunity, and I hope that data sets will have come together under uh, sort of a, a national umbrella so that researchers can go in and uh, help bring those data sets together and mine them to generate insights that really can make a difference in, in preventing disease or helping focus treatment for patients um, in, a, in a really life-changing way.
0: Fantastic. Nicole, Martha, thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the Foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.